Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. The Chicago Bulls started their 2018-19 season with a sizable loss to the Philadelphia 76ers on the road, 127-108. It's not going to be a fun year for the Chicago Bulls. Some parts of the team are still young and developing, some parts may not be any good, and Lori Markakin, the 2017 first-round pick that showed real promise last year, is out with an elbow sprain to start the season. Vegas thinks the Bulls will be one of the worst teams in the NBA, and the Bulls could be on their way to having a top-five pick in next year's NBA draft. Sound familiar? Every time I read about the Bulls, I can't help but think of the many similarities between Jerry Reinsdorf's basketball team and his baseball team. There are, of course, the differences on how each sport handles itself, and in those ways, either fan base can paint a better future picture when comparing the two. But how each organization goes about their business, in my opinion, are very similar. Very, very similar. And the greatest reason why the Bulls and White Sox are in their current positions. Despite reasons for hope that things will turn around, there is still viable doubt this rebuilding effort will work. The best piece I read about the Chicago Bulls' current place was titled, The Bulls Have No Plan, No Goal, Little Hope, from SB Nation's bloggables.com's Ricky O'Donnell. After reading the piece about year two of the Bulls rebuild, I felt that you could replace the Bulls with White Sox and still have the article work. It really tries to ground expectations of the fresh season and be realistic about where the team currently is. Oh man, did White Sox fans not like that opinion on Twitter. Many called that take trash and were offended that anyone would dare compare the White Sox to the Bulls. 
Why be offended? Well, I think it's because the Bulls are the laughing stock of Chicago sports at the moment. We've seen the fire Garpax billboards and heard the daily takes on sports talk radio. My thought on that is, well, at least they're talking about the Bulls. The White Sox have been so bad that it's not even worth the effort for some radio stations and newspapers in town. Because of the harsh criticism of my opinion on Twitter, I decided to offer a retort. But rather than blaze a Twitter thread, I wanted to have an open conversation. Am I way off base for comparing the White Sox to the Bulls? And is my take trash? Well, to help flush out this comparison and tell me if my thoughts about the White Sox and Bulls situations are similar to dates or they're very different is the man who wrote the piece, The Bulls Have No Plan, No Goal, and Little Hope. From SB Nation, it's Ricky O'Donnell. And hello, Ricky. Thanks for coming on the show and doing this. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. For those that haven't read the preseason piece of The Bulls, 2018 season that you wrote for SB Nation. How would you sum up where the Chicago Bulls are as an organization? Yeah, I think right now the Bulls are in their second year of the rebuild. Uh, It's going to continue to be a long process, I think, after they decided to trade Jimmy Butler at the onset of uh, last year. So in their current spot, I think the Bulls are just sort of, uh, you know, starting to accumulate some of the young talent they're going to need to build this thing back from the ground up. But what I think is particularly interesting about the Bulls this year is that some of the moves they've made have hinted at the fact that, you know, maybe they're not directly tanking, which is kind of the easiest and perhaps most effective strategy for any rebuilding team. Of course, they match the offer sheet the Sacramento Kings gave to Zach Levine. So the Bulls have Zach Levine now for the next four years at $78 million. They also signed Jabari Parker over the offseason to a $20 million one-year contract with a team option on the back end of that for another season. Uh, and then, you know, the other notable moves they've made this offseason were through the draft, adding Wendell Carter with the seventh pick at center. He started for the Bulls last night at only 19 years old. He's going to be 19 for the whole season. And then Chandler Hutchison was their other first-round pick. He didn't even get in the game. He wasn't in the rotation uh, in their opener against Philadelphia. So, That's where the Bulls are at right now. Uh, I think that it's a particularly interesting place, though, if you just look around the local media landscape because there's a lot of people uh, in the mainstream local press who think the Bulls could make the playoffs because of, uh, you know, some of the moves they've made, most notably adding Parker, re-signing Levine, while the Vegas consensus appears to be that the Bulls are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. I think the Bulls are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. I'm not sure how much you can actually take away from the opener against Philadelphia, because they didn't have Chris Dunn, uh, their starting point guard. They didn't have Lowry Mark, and then they didn't have a key bench piece in Denzel Valentine. But uh, to me, you know, the Bulls are, you know, a critical junction in this rebuild. We don't know if they're going to end up with the 10th pick in the next draft. If, you know, potentially they make a run at a playoff seed, maybe in the in the late lottery or middle teens, or are they going to be, you know, a team that gets a top three, top four pick? So uh, just the fact that no one – the fact that there's like a like very little consensus about that as the Bulls start uh, the second season of the rebuild, at least within the local media, I think is a, is a pretty interesting place to be. Yeah, I'm smiling on the other end because you are at where I was March of 2018, right before the White Sox season began. Because there are many that squinted really hard 
at a look at the White Sox with all this young talent, and we see it all the time where young talent in baseball clicks a season before anyone expected. The division in the American League Central is terrible. Maybe the White Sox have an outside chance. I do remember a lot of fans that were hopeful that the White Sox could be contending for a wild card in 2018. And we laugh at that now on how 2018 transpired. Uh, but it, it's a bit interesting on uh, on what you're saying as far as the Chicago Bulls because, yeah, the projection systems like fan graphs at the beginning of 2018 pro- projected the White Sox to be a 63-99 and 99 team. <laughs> how about that? And we ripped, we ripped fan graphs for that. And Vegas gave the White Sox over under season total win 68.5 wins. And we thought, wow, that's easy money. They're going to go over that. Ha, fools we are. Now, you're also a White Sox fan, so I'm assuming you are well-versed, probably well-versed about the White Sox rebuild than I am about the Bulls rebuild. In your opinion, how are the two rebuilding efforts different? How are they different? Well, uh, I would say, you know, the, the similarity would be like the Butler trade and the Sale trade, right? Getting back... Mankata um, and Kopik for sale, and for the Bulls getting back Dunn, Levine, and Markinen ultimately for Butler. Uh, in terms of where they differ, I would say that, well, I mean, the sports are just much different. It's like in basketball, the best team, the team with the most talent, is ultimately going to be the most successful team, the team that wins the championship. Very rarely in the NBA does the best team not win the championship. Like, heading into this year, there's basically no – I mean, there's there's no discussion. The Warriors are going to win the title as long as they stay healthy. Whereas in baseball, I mean, if you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. Uh, so I just think the nature of the sport is the one thing that's, that's the biggest difference between the two of them. Uh, I would say that it appears that the White Sox rebuild, which started earlier – like, what, what year exactly is this of the true White Sox rebuild? Is, would next year be year three? Yes. Yes, there are some that don't want to believe that. But yes, uh, next year would be year three of the rebuild, depending on depending on how this offseason goes. Uh, so I think that the White Sox do have a little bit more uh, depth to the rebuild, right? You have guys like uh, Louis Robert and Blake Rutherford and some of these names who I heard about a lot at the start of the season. I don't even know how those guys have really fared uh, to be honest, after this last season. But it seems like the White Sox just have a little bit more depth, I would say, throughout their rebuild, whereas the Bulls really just have two guys who look like keepers in Wendell Carter and Larry Markkinen. And then everyone else for the Bulls is sort of questionable, like Levine, Dunn, uh, and some of the other young guys. Now, from the outside, I see a lot of hate for the Bulls' front office. I It would be fair to say that maybe in the Chicago sports media realm in the city that the bulls are the current laughing stock of the professional teams would that be fair to say i think so especially with the bears recent success i think that is a key difference because despite six straight losing seasons and now suffering the worst record since 1970 i would say that most white Sox fans still think highly of rick khan and the work that he's done so much that I think some are overboard apologists and uh, think he's terrific at his job. At his job, and he's one of the best GMs in all of Major League Baseball, despite the poor product on the field. 
I'm just curious. Are there Garpax supporters? Do they exist? Or is everyone in unison in as far as Bulls media and fans that they really don't like this front office? Uh, I would say that they exist. The supporters exist. I mean, there's definitely the people who are super negative. I would say I'm part of that group. The people who think that with the Bulls, nothing will really change until there's a change at the top, until the front office switches over and really a change in ownership. And that might be the main similarity between the Bulls and the White Sox, obviously. Uh, but there is a group that thinks that the Bulls, uh, that, you know, the, that the Bulls are doing a pretty good job. They're on the right path. And that realistically, you know, they're sort of doing the best they can do. But uh, I would say, you know, the most vocal contingent would be the Bulls fans who are dissatisfied with the product. And, and I agree with you that, you know, after the White Sox coming off seasons of 62, 67 wins and what they haven't made the playoffs in like 10 years now, it, it is a bit surprising that everyone remains so high uh, on the White Sox front office. But I think that that's because – uh, the perception at the time is that the White Sox made better deals than the Bulls. Like where the Jimmy Butler deal was shredded in the media as being a poor return. The Chris Sale trade was like, oh, wow, we got this great package of Minkata and Kopik. Well, Minkata has been terrible. Uh, hopefully you still have some upside left. You could speak to that a lot better than I could. I'm, I'm still hopeful for Minkata as a White Sox fan. And now Kopik, you know, Tommy John surgery, a lot of pitchers have that. So I'm still thinking Kopik can have a nice long career for the White Sox. But uh, perhaps that deal does not look as promising as it did at the time because uh, Minkata has sort of stalled out a little bit in his progress as a former number one overall prospect. Whereas from the Bulls' side, when the Bulls made that trade uh, to deal Jimmy Butler to Minnesota, no one was particularly excited about Lowry marketing at the time, and he's ended up being – you know, the one piece that could really save that trade. He had a really good year for the Bulls as a rookie a season ago as a seven-footer who can really shoot threes, uh, can can get buckets in a hurry. So I think Markkanen, you know, looks like a long-term keeper, which we didn't know that at the time of the trade with Minnesota for Butler. So uh, I, I think that that's sort of where a lot of the perception differences stem from, is like what people thought of those moves at the time. Now they look a little different as uh, – as the seasons have played out a couple of years later. Now, where a lot of White Sox fans on Twitter are saying that my opinion on the similarities between the White Sox and Bulls situations uh, is trash because when I retweeted it, your article had in the title, Bulls have no plan. And the White Sox fans that disagree with me are making that their sticking point that, of course, the White Sox have a plan. It may not be working, but at least they have a plan. And I would say, I think the Bulls front office believes it also does have a plan. It may not be a good plan or it's going to be a plan that works. But I think that the Bulls front office believes they do have a plan in place, uh, even though it may not be clear to those outside of the front office. And you touched on this by writing about intent, that a true tank requires intent and that intent is gone instead the front office has done the only thing we can count on them to do they built a bad team on accident ricky how did that happen for the bulls well i think it starts with the signing of jabari parker which is very reminiscent to a previous signing they made a couple years back of Dwayne wade when they got Dwayne wade and rajon rondo in the same offseason i think similar 
to the Wade signing, uh, you know, the Parker signing wouldn't have happened. Neither of those signings would have happened if those dudes were born anywhere that was outside of Chicago. I think both of them were made uh, with the mindset being, you know, more it's good for marketing. It'll sell some tickets. Uh, valuing that aspect of the acquisition over, like, will this actually help us win basketball games? Will this be good for our culture? Uh, inev- uh, inevitably being, you know, turning this thing around. So Parker, you know, it's an easy sell. I love Jabari Parker. I followed his whole high school career. He won four state championships at Simeon here. I've talked to him several times. He's a really kind, big-hearted kid who does a lot of really important social work in the city. And I think that, you know, just having him in Chicago for a year with this type of platform and with this type of salary, that's ultimately going to be a good thing for the city of Chicago because Jabari Parker really does care But from a basketball perspective, everyone knew that that signing was going to be a disaster from the onset. Uh, Jabari Parker, if you follow the NBA now, you've sort of seen how the league has shifted over the last few years. Well, it really started to shift when Parker came into the league, drafted in uh, 2014, I believe it was. Uh, You know, Parker is sort of wired for the old league. He believes he's a go-to scorer. He wants to isolate. Uh, He's had all these quotes in the media about how Players don't get paid for their defense, uh, and Jabari Parker's defense is really bad. So he just has a game that doesn't fit the modern era, uh, and I don't think that he contributes to to the Bulls winning games whatsoever. And you saw that with Fred Hoiberg deciding to bench him in the fourth preseason game despite him making $20 million. Hoiberg realized that you know while his bosses signed Jabari to play the, the small forward spot, He's no small forward in this area of the league. He's definitely a power forward. And even at power forward, he's got a lot of flaws. So uh, I would say that, you know, the Bulls' main misstep is a big picture thing is that they keep making the same mistakes. They never seem to learn from them. I think the Parker signing totally exposed them as not really knowing what they're doing because uh, the vast majority of, let's say, enlightened basketball fans saw that acquisition and were like, rolling their eyes so hard that they might fall off the back of their head. Everyone just kind of knew that Jabari Parker, while he has potential on paper, it just wasn't going to be a good fit, especially next to another sort of redundant offense first player like Levine. Uh, It was just going to be a disaster from the start. And uh, the fact that he got benched in the fourth preseason game, I think is really telling for that. So the White Sox, as far as what we were preparing for this offseason, could be in that same situation where – while I am excited to see if they will spend, I still remember the 2014 and 2015 off seasons where they did make some key moves, but they didn't do enough uh, to build around Chris Sale and Jose Katana. And I think that's what's led into uh, as far as the rebuild for the White Sox and where they are currently today, just because of the types of players that they do target, uh, especially in free agency. Uh, either Rick Hahn has the worst luck in the world signing free agents, or he's not very good at targeting players and sending cash their way. Their example last year, Wellington Castillo was a surprise signing, and boom, he gets busted for blood doping. Uh, I don't think any GM would have predicted that, but again, it's just the type of bad luck uh, that Rick Hahn has had as far as free agency and the types of players that the White Sox continue to target. It just doesn't seem like they have any creativity when it comes to free agency. Uh, But here are the White Sox, and a lot of fans do want them to spend. They do want the White Sox to throw cash like the Bulls did to Parker. 
is that something that you would advise against for a rebuilding team? No, I think that the the White Sox have to do it. I mean, the thing with the Bulls is they did it, but you knew it was dumb. Like, similar to when they signed Wade and Rondo, it's like you knew that that was a bad move when they made it. When they signed Parker, I mean, everyone said it at the time, I think. You know, at least the there, there were some people who held out hope because Jabari Parker was the second pick in the draft. He did have this big-time pedigree, uh, you know, originally coming into the league, but he just had not been a productive player. He had two torn ACLs already. And more than anything, I think that he just didn't have the game or the mindset to fit into the league's modern era. So uh, that is, I guess, the difference between the Bulls and the White Sox. Like, what's the biggest contract in White Sox history? It's still that Mark Burley deal. Am I correct on that? No, it's Jose Abreu's six-year, $65 million deal. Yeah, they're one of the few teams that's never offered a $100 million contract. Yeah, not even close to it. So... Uh, I mean, as a White Sox fan, I would love to see them spend in the offseason, but you just hope that it's uh, spent more wisely than how the Bulls did it. Well, that is a great way to transition on why I think the two franchises are in similar positions. And I think it starts with number one, and that's Jerry Reinsdorf. From a White Sox perspective, Ricky, Jerry is more of an obstacle to success uh, then maybe a tool to help drive the team to being successful as it's been clear in the past that he and the minority owners have not been willing to spend the type of money like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox or even in the city like the Cubs to build the best competitive team possible. Do Bulls fans share that same sentiment with Jerry Reinsdorf? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, it goes even beyond that. It's like, what is Reinsdorf known for as an owner? I'd say his defining quality is sort of his loyalty. Uh, the Bulls have really no accountability whatsoever throughout the organization. Like John Paxson and Gar Foreman can do a bad job forever. And it seems like as long as they want the job, they can have it. Foreman is best friends with Michael Reinsdorf, who's taken on a big leadership position with the Bulls. Uh, there, there's just they have the same people in the same places forever, and I think that you know that's probably similar to the White Sox. It's like even though the White Sox decided to trade Chris Sale, and even though the White Sox have acquired a lot of good-looking prospects over the last few years, it's still the same people in charge who signed Todd Frazier and Adam Dunn and LaRoche. Is that correct? Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. So I think that that's the main similarity to me. It's like. Yeah, it all starts from the top down, and then you know the people who are at the top are empowering the same folks who have already you know failed in a big way once before, or twice before, or three times before. How many GMs do you know that would keep their job if they had six straight losing seasons in any professional sports league? Yeah, not many. I, I can't think of one outside of the White Sox. How long have the Bulls been quote-unquote bad, as in not making the postseason and having a losing record? Well, they made the postseason when they had Butler and Wade, uh, so that was right. only two okay. seasons ago. So, yeah, I mean, the, but it's, it's a different sport. It's like the Bulls, first of all, are in the Eastern Conference, which is trash. It's been horrible for over two decades at this point. So you should automatically be able to make the East. You're the damn Chicago Bulls. It's like everyone who's in the modern, everyone who's in the league today grew up thinking that this is one of the premier franchises in the sport. 
But the Bulls, while being a big market franchise who should be viewed through the same lens as a team like the Lakers, instead run themselves like a mid-market team, which I think is another similarity between the Bulls and the White Sox. Like the White Sox have no prestige around them. The Bulls should have prestige because they had Michael Jordan, but they don't really carry themselves with that big market you know, panache that they should. Yes, I'm very glad that you brought that point up because that's another point that White Sox fans do get frustrated with the franchise that you're in Chicago. You are a big market team, whether you want to operate as one or not. I commonly say that the White Sox operate closer to the Milwaukee Brewers than they do to the Chicago Cubs. And I think it brings up the second point that I think is very similar and is somewhat damaging to both franchises' efforts is that both franchises just seem to have an inability to sign top-tier free agents. This winter, Ricky, all you're going to hear from White Sox fans is sign Manny Machado. Sign Manny Machado. Whatever it takes, sign Manny Machado. But why would Manny Machado want to sign with the White Sox? Because they're, again, a team that's never offered more than a $100 million contract to anyone or I should say sign anyone to more than a $100 million contract. They probably made some offers, but weren't able to convince those players to sign with them. And it, you know, what I hear as far as like from the media and what I read is that the Bulls have a similar situation, that they can't draw these top-tier free agents. And I'm not sure why. Why aren't the Bulls an attractive destination for free agents? Yeah, that's certainly a defining quality for the Bulls. They're always getting their third choice usually on the free agent market. The big year, of course, being the summer of 2010 when LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh are all free agents, the Bulls made a serious pitch for them and came away with Carlos Boozer. Uh, at the time, you know, there, there was some extra work for the Bulls to do, I think, in terms of like getting two max salary slots or getting a third max salary slot, which is what LeBron would have wanted. But it's always something that prevents them from fully pulling the trigger. Uh, uh, you know, in, in years have passed since, they rolled out the red carpet for Carmelo Anthony and missed on him. Of course, that ended up sort of being uh, a blessing in hindsight. So, but that that's a defining quality for sure for the Bulls. I mean, you can go back to 2000 when they uh, greeted Tracy McGrady at O'Hare with cheerleaders and Benny the Bull and, uh, you know, made it known very widely that they wanted Tracy McGrady and McGrady ended up in Orlando. So, in the Bulls got Ron Mercer and... I think Brad Miller that year. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a similar thing. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see what the White Sox do if they can pull off Machado. I mean, is Machado who you want? I know Machado was not very good for the Dodgers. I don't want to say he wasn't very good, but his OPS dropped from 963 to 825. Bam, pulling out the OPS, man. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't pay that close of attention to baseball anymore, but the nice thing about baseball is that the numbers are within like such a hard context yeah, that you still understand it without paying day-to-day attention to it. So I just pulled up Manny Machado's page and I had seen that, uh, you know, he, his defense has slipped quite a bit, uh, this year. So, well, it was a position change for Machado going from third to short, but yes, because the White Sox have a dire need at third base and they have a dire need for someone who can hit 30 to 40 home runs, like Machado. Machado fits perfectly with what the White Sox want. A 26-year-old superstar that could be part of this effort to be a contending team 
for four to five years when you have all of these top prospects like Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech when he gets back and if Yohan Mikata can strain out, he fits perfectly with that. But as you mentioned, like with the Bulls, it always seems like there's something in the way from the White Sox ever getting those types of deals done unless these players are coming from the island of Cuba. Uh, where the White Sox did sign on uh, Luis Roberts, you mentioned before, and, and Jose Abreu. And I wonder if it goes back to, to point one uh, with Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, the third similarity that has really struck me, it started first with what Michael Reinsdorf's 25-minute Q&A in the Chicago Tribune that I read uh, and your piece. And then it reminded me of what Rick Hahn was saying Prior to 2018. So this is what Rick Hahn said at Sox Fest before the team went out to spring training. Quote, we have a great deal of excitement heading into the season, but we also know objectively where we are at in this thing. We made a lot of progress in the last year plus, and we feel we're much closer to being able to field a team that can contend for championships on an annual basis. But we also know there's a fair amount of work ahead of us. And then for Michael Reinsdorf, quote, it's an exciting time for us. It feels like everyone in the organization is pulling in the same direction. It's not necessarily about the wins and losses. It's about how we develop as a team. What's the chemistry like? How do the players play from an individual standpoint and collectively as a group? Are the Bulls copying the White Sox? And is the message from the front office of the Bulls the same as the White Sox are to the fans that while yes, we would like to win many games, but that doesn't matter this year. It's all about development. Is that correct? Am I off base for thinking that the message is the same? That's correct for the Bulls. And it's been the same message for the last three or four years. It was like, well, we're going to play Jerry and Grant a lot to see his development. We're going to play Bobby Portis a lot to see his development. Well, it's like those guys either didn't develop the way they wanted them to, or, you know, Grant in his instance, they traded him over the off season for nothing. Uh, yeah. It's like when the focus is on development and I made this, this point in my piece, it's like the accountability from the front office is totally stripped from the bulls perspective. They're saying, you know, we have talent. Now it's on the talent to come together. Well, do you, because Vegas still has you pegged as the fifth worst team in the NBA this year. So uh, you know, you could look at Jabari Parker and Zach Levine and, you know, see that they were former high draft picks. And, you know, if you're talking about a plan, I think that that might be the Bulls' plan to try to find uh, assets that were once highly regarded, that had injuries. Both of those guys tore their ACL. Maybe there's some high variance to the asset, right? Like, theoretically, they could come together, uh, live up to their pre-draft hype, or live up to, in Levine's case, uh you know, his efficient scoring numbers in his third season before he tore the ACL. So they're high-variance assets, but it's like the the fit on the court just doesn't mesh. Yeah, the fit on the field for the White Sox after 2018. I mean, hey, after this season, I don't think anybody has any clue on what the level of quality the White Sox are going in 2019. And that's kind of tough when you're trying to set up expectations of what the White Sox should do in the offseason to continue moving forward because of the fact that Yohan Makata didn't play well 
And Lucas Giolito is one of the worst pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. And the injuries, the injuries to the top prospects in the White Sox farm system have really hurt a, a year development. And you mentioned as far as the guys that couldn't play, and it sounds like somewhat similar that there are some key young players for the Bulls starting this year that are starting on injured reserve so far. Is is that correct? Well, Chris Dunn missed the first game because the, uh, he had the birth of his son. But Chris Dunn has oh, a long awesome. history of being, yeah, congrats to Chris Dunn. He has a long history of being injured. I followed him since he was a high school prospect, a McDonald's All-American. Uh, he missed his first two college years of Providence with injury, and then he was healthy for two years, got in the league, barely played for the Timberwolves after being the fifth pick, and then with the Bulls last year, he missed significant time too with uh, various injuries. So uh, I think that, you know, Dunn's a health risk. Levine and Parker have both torn ACLs already. Uh, <clears throat> already at the start of this season, Lowry Markkinen's going to be out until December because he's injured. So, yeah, it's like the durability is, is a big thing. And, uh, you know, to go back to the White Sox perspective, I just feel like if Mankata was really good, if Mankata lived up to the hype he had as a prospect, then I, as a fan, would just be feeling so much better about the rebuild because at least you have, like, that one cornerstone guy. Well, now the bucket's passed to Eloy. It's like, well, now Eloy is going to be the dude. And it seems like Eloy is as sure of a thing as there possibly could be in baseball. Like, if Eloy busts, anyone could bust, theoretically, right? Like, he looks that safe, and he looks like he's going to be that good. But, uh, you know, he was supposed to be, like, a supplement to Mankata's sort of five-tool talent. And now, instead, it's like, well, we don't know what to make of Mankata, so Eloy is the one thing we got. And you're not going to see him on opening day. You'll see him some point in 2019 when the White Sox gain an extra year. Obviously, that's a key difference between baseball and basketball is uh, as far as uh, control of the players, service time uh, difference between the two leagues and, and when it gets started. Okay, so those are the those were the big similarities. So when I read your piece, Ricky, I thought you could replace the Bulls with the White Sox and your piece would still work. After our conversation... Is my take trash? Am I off base by saying that I think the White Sox and Bulls are in similar situations at the moment? No, I agree with you. I think they are. Uh, Perhaps some of your followers put too much stock into the headline that I wrote instead of of reading the whole thing. It was a great headline. Always write the headline (laughs) first, you know. That's how you you get people in. But uh, I do think the similarities are are pretty similar just because, well, first of all, the same guy owns both teams. He's defined by his loyalty. Even people who have failed in the past seem to face uh, not much accountability. So I I think there are a lot of similarities between the two franchises. And, you know, for a certain type of fan, the biggest similarity is just disenfranchisement at the spot where uh, both organizations currently are. Then the last question is, which franchise do you have more hope for reaching their intended goal of why they are rebuilding to be able to have sustained success, the Bulls or the White Sox? I'm going to go White Sox because I think there's more variance in baseball, whereas the Bulls, I mean, it's possible the Bulls could turn it around, but to me, it would really require... Uh, them, you know, finding a mega stud in the next draft. 
you know, a, a star wing, a star offensive guard who could elevate, you know, the totality of the rebuild. Whereas in baseball, I feel like there's more variance and it gives the White Sox sort of more outs for eventually turning into uh, a competitive team again. Yeah, I think the key difference is having Eloy Jimenez for the White Sox. Because I agree with you. I think based on our conversation, I would say, yeah, I think the White Sox have more hope because they do have someone like Eloy Jimenez waiting in the wings that a lot of people think he's going to be that budding superstar, maybe on the level of a Manny Machado. Um, but when you field nine guys day in, day out, you need multiple Aloy Jimenez's to be able uh, to make it into the postseason, to be able to win the American League Central despite how bad the division is uh, because the evil empire has awoken in New York and the Boston Red Sox and the Houston Astros don't look like they're going to be going away anytime soon. Uh, does it help the Bulls that LeBron James is no longer in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I think absolutely it does. It would help them a lot more if they still had Jimmy Butler and would have never signed Wade and Rondo and could have built a good team around Butler. Like To me, that was the Bulls' biggest failure. You had this great player who they they just totally flubbed building around, uh, and that sort of put them in the position they're at right now. So yes, it definitely helps that you know LeBron's out of the East finally. But, you know, the Bulls aren't the franchise who are in position to take take advantage of that, unfortunately. They're starting from the ground up, and uh, to me, this is going to be another long, painful year. And, you know, the best-case scenario is that it ends with a really high lottery pick. This is another key difference between basketball and baseball. I feel like in baseball, when the White Sox get, you know, the second or third pick, that there's still so much uncertainty around that that draft pick, how much that asset is really going to help them accelerate the rebuild. Whereas in basketball, I mean, it could be just huge. Uh, one guy yeah. could just change the entire franchise so quickly, even even a 19-year-old. So, uh, you know, that's the Bulls' great hope, I think, this year, is just to be as bad as possible. But I don't know if that was management's intended goal. Like I said, I, I think they happened to build a bad team on accident and, you know, for for Bulls fans, there's solace in the fact that they might be so bad at their job that the Bulls could still get the first pick in the draft come next June. Well, you could read Ricky's excellent work on SB Nation and follow him this NBA season, folks. If you love the NBA or you love basketball in general, because he also writes about college basketball frequently. He's on Twitter. He's at SBN underscore Ricky. And Ricky, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this and talk me through this. And uh, I hope that the Bulls uh, do accomplish the tanking for you. Uh, And you're writing about a terrific new draftee uh, instead of writing about, well, the Bulls have the eighth pick in the draft and they are still screwing this up. Yeah, I'm getting pretty sick of being so negative. I wasn't always this way with the Bulls. If you go back and look (laughs) at my work when I was younger, I used to really be positive about the the Tom Thibodeau era, the Derrick Rose era, the Joe Kim Noah there. I used to write a lot of positive stuff about the Bulls, but now I've developed this reputation for being very negative. Well, I'm just trying to tell, you know, what I think is the truth. I have no agenda in this. I just wish the Bulls were better. I uh, wish, wish the front office was better. wish they were in a better position. So, you know, hopefully that day isn't too far ahead in the future, but uh, it's tough to have much faith when there's still the same people in place as the ones who blew it last time. Hey, I'm I'm with you, man. I just I get to look forward to watching Chris Sale finally start a World Series game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn it. But anyways, Ricky, greatly appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Thanks for having me.
When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.